My guest today has been described by colleagues as follows. His positive attitude and expertise on sales have taught me a lot since I joined the team. He is the type of manager that everyone would love to have. Here's another one. He was my best coach and mentor in the Salesforce management team. He always listened and gave powerful advice that challenged me. Besides his outstanding performance as a sales leader, he's there when you need him and want to talk to him. Here's another one. It was fantastic to work with him during our time in China. He was instrumental in driving the exponential growth we enjoyed in the region and was always a good sounding board for ideas and gave insight in a very challenging environment. Last but not least, common sense and a direct approach always prevailed with him and he was lightning fast to take action when needed, especially in rolling out a constantly changing strategy to fit a rapidly changing environment. He is a consummate sales professional and manager. He combines effective management and thought leadership, and I've watched him motivate and empower his team by getting out there himself and engaging with the key decision makers in the corporate environment. Professional and encouraging, he was always very approachable. In short, he's the type of person I would want to work for again in the future. Richard McGuinness, you're very welcome to the podcast. That's a, uh, a hell of an introduction. Well, the, I, I, did, I didn't make it up. <laughs> These are real testimonials people have written about you. So uh, it's, but you, you, it must be gratifying and it must be nice to hear them. Absolutely. I mean, you can only you, you reflect on anything you've achieved through how, um, how it's positively impacted others. And yeah. uh, it's been, uh, if we've been able to help a couple of people along the way or help give them a, um, make them a better sales professional or make them uh, achieve some of their own personal or professional goals, then and that's, a, that's a great achievement in and okay. of itself. So, we, 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 we have to deal with the elephant in the room and with sincere apologies <laughs> to people who are listening to this and can't see what I'm seeing. <laughs> Last time I saw you, you were clean shaven. Des describe the beard because it, it is the most magnificent beard I have seen in a long time. Well, well that, that's high praise. Coming from you, I think it's a very, uh, very high bar you're setting there. Yeah. I, um, so, you know, with, with COVID, we, we haven't got a lot to do. And I don't have a great deal of hair on the top of my head. So I felt it was appropriate to try to, uh, to focus on the, on the chin hair. And, and I was also very inspired by, over the last couple of years, um, uh, I spent a lot of time in Turkey, a lot of time working with some of the leading businesses in the region and a lot of time in Istanbul. And you, you go into Turkey as a, or go to Istanbul as a clean-shaven, um, you know, go-getter, and you realize that actually the, the magnificence of the, um, the, the Turkish beard population is something you, you, you become jealous of yeah. and, um, and you want to emulate. So. Yeah. The only thing now is you're going to have to get yourself a three-piece suit and, and a little pocket watch, and then it's, then it's complete. <laughs> and I'm thinking of trading in the glasses for a monocle. As well, just to, to oh, yes, yes. I, I'm, I'm thinking now. I want to get the camera out. And I want to, I want to go photograph the beard. Anyway, enough talk about the beard. Uh, tell me, Richard. Um, we'll, we'll get on to a little bit because I know the the company you work for changed names recently. So uh, it was, it was interesting because I looked on LinkedIn. I thought oh, he's changed jobs. No, no, no. The job, <laughs> the, the company has changed names. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to place your accent. Mm -hmm. And I can. And that's the other thing, by the way, you're you have a voice that goes with the beard. It, it is a voice for radio. It's wonderful. Um, 
with that, I can't. Is it a Dublin accent? Did you grow up in Dublin? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm North Dublin, born and bred, Paul. So I, I grew up in North Dublin, and I had this. As you grow up in in Dublin, you have this very strong sense of the North South Dublin divide. And in my oh. gen, in my generation, there was a, a a barrier across the centre of the city that you did not cross over. Um, and I'm I'm proud to say that I moved recently from North Dublin to Enniskerry, which to me is is North Wicklow. So. I feel like I've managed to kind of keep that sort of north side route alive. Um, and, and I think my, my accent isn't uh, necessarily too easy to pin onto North Dublin. I think it's been inspired by a lot of 70s television that was uh, um, the monkeys, particularly. I think I'm, I'm oh. sure that was where uh, uh, I learned most of my um, uh, my <laughs> pronunciation of words. So, um, yep. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about then when you were younger, growing up Northside Dublin, what were the kind of things that inspired you most? Um, I was a very science driven individual when I was a kid and very uh, much about being inspired by um, particularly old, the, the, the scientists of old. And I, I would have taken a very strong scientific sort of sensibility throughout my school life and throughout my even college life into what I've into my professional life um, so back then it would have been um, I was a very geeky and um, and uh, bookish kid with a lot of interest in uh, engineering and in science and then um, uh, yeah anything that that kind of had it followed a, a path if a plus B well could could you make C happen and oh. experiment and tinker and innovate? Uh, it was kind of in my blood from the, the very offset. Um, and, and as that thinking, that, that scientific approach to the world, I'm, I'm wondering how that's influenced who you are now as a sales leader. So I think there's a, um, I still probably take a systemized view of the world today. And as a sales leader, I think it's important. And as a sales, as a sales professional, I think it's important to look to to systems and to flows and to the way that, that uh, things tend to follow oh. a certain order and logical pattern. And particularly if, you know, there's a, as, a, as an individual contributor or as a sales professional, it's very important to find not this, there's no some, there's not some grand secret success formula, but there's certainly, um, you know, the, the Tony Robbinsism uh, success leaves clues. Oh. You know, things tend to follow a pattern. If you can, identify that pattern and try to work towards that pattern, you're more likely to get a better outcome than if you just follow a random path. And so I think today is, you know, and I think as, as, as I've been uh, in sales since I left college and I, and I kind of dedicated myself, probably my mid late twenties, actually Paul, probably the first time I came across you and the, the, uh, the Sandler school um, uh, sometime back in my twenties, you know, to, to look at, at sales as a science, and, and to take it in as serious a way as, um, as if I were an architect or a surgeon or a, uh, or a professional, I'd, I'd find a way to constantly uh, fine tune, to learn, to study, to find the path and pattern and to make sure that you're, in, you know, you're, you're adding to your knowledge constantly. Oh. So it wasn't just a flat thing. And that, that's, you know, the, there, there's a, a systematic approach to sales success in most cases. And, um, the, uh, and it certainly, I think, comes from that scientific mm. kind of thread into uh, the way we would uh, uh, we build sales teams today. I'd like to talk to you about that because I, I sometimes wonder, and I'm just pulling out really for discussion, 
if we sometimes take an oversimplistic approach to sales and that you're right at some level you see the same patterns play out of behavior. So forget about the domain like it's sales, but we just talk about in terms of human psychology, we'll see sometimes people can be quite programmable if then else. If, if, if I say something scary, people will get frightened, for example, right? Yeah. So, so, so at one level, it can be quite simplistic and at another level, it can be extremely complex and that sometimes we predict certain things will happen and the exact opposite it happens despite the fact we've got thousands of years of science um yeah. and therefore i wonder where's the line between just people are so complex that we've just got to deal with each one as an individual unique organism that is is is, is random in nature in terms of how they behave yeah. versus broadly repeatable predictable patterns of behavior it seems like a it's almost like a, a paradox yeah it's uh, it, the, the analogy i best use to describe it perhaps is um i don't know you play an instrument paul do you play uh, piano piano okay so my son plays piano i play guitar there are basic core principles within those instruments that you need to know um, oh. I, I listen to music and i i hear the the you know a live musician play an incredible uh piece on a guitar and uh and it's responsive and it's live and it's it's in uh, and he's he's taking feedback from the audience and you know what's liked or what isn't it depends upon the mood he's in and and yet to follow a path or a pattern that that is uh, he, he knows where he's coming in and he knows where he's going out you know loosely the journey that he takes then musically is is really it's the fun part of live music and it's why you like going to a con well gosh almighty we all miss concerts but it's why we love going to a live music show rather than necessarily just sitting down and listen to the cd but all of the music that we we enjoy when we're sitting in that live concert is based on core principles of chords oh. keys and notes that oh. have to follow a sequence it's not somebody getting up and hammering on a piano or strumming wildly on a guitar you have to have those core basic principles oh. you go through your grades you go through your chords you build that kind of comfort with the with the language of music yeah. so that you can perform in a live way and in, in in sales too i think there's a lot of times in sales and in any way that you engage with people you have to be able to there's a bit yeah. of art and there's a bit of science yeah. but it has to have bare bones of yeah of frequencies that people understand and can and, and resonate as you go from one to the other all of that is true let me throw in a couple of things that see if we can go into a different direction on it because there's a couple of variables that I find difficult in a sales environment to, if you like, put some parameters around in, in trying to understand it. One, and we'll just deal with the, the, the musical analogy. First of all, you said that the musician, right, there's, there are standardized chord progressions and you can apply a rigorous, if you like, engineering slash science approach to that. And then as you mentioned the mood. What mood am I in mm -hmm. now? How do you, how do you, how do you define that? How do you codify that versus a chord which has eight notes and and, and so on? Yeah. Uh, versus also the subjective experience of the audience. Now all of this comes into play in sales. This is why I'm fascinated yeah. about sales and and really humans in general because I can be absolutely brilliant at playing a piece of music, but if my mood is off that's going to change the subjective experience of the audience. And not even that, even if I played brilliantly, 
Some person might like it and some person, some, somebody might hate it because of their subjective experience. Yeah. And, and, and if that's true and we just take that into sales, does that mean it's very, that, that, that there are certain things that we can tie down and get better at, but there's also a limit on the impact, as, as good as you might be at, say, communicating, there's a mm -hmm. limit on that because somebody just might not, like you, might not like you and therefore, as good as you are at communicating and simplifying your message, they're not listening in the first place. And, 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 and to me, that's what makes it difficult. And I'm just wondering, is there, is there, is there a way around that even? Or is it just all you, can do, all you can do is control your side of things? All you can do is control your side, but you can also understand the other person's side too, or, or seek to understand it from their perspective. It's perfectly okay if somebody doesn't like the tune you're playing, and, or if somebody doesn't want to buy the product you're, you're, you're selling. You're not going to find yourself in a situation where everybody's going to like, you know, what, what do they say? We're not game show hosts. You know, you're not supposed to come in and everybody likes you every day or every piece of the, the, the product set that you're presenting is going to be enjoyed by everybody you put it in front of. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, maybe the that's responsiveness is being able right. to see things from their side yeah. too, thinking yeah. and knowing it's okay for them not to enjoy yeah. it. I guess where I was going with this might, might highlight the difference between sales and marketing in that marketing because it's a mass audience that it's you're like if you take the music analogy that a certain audience will res it'll resonate with a certain audience with others it won't but at an individual level if i'm sitting down to play music for you i can say hey richard what kind of music do you like and you yeah. can say well i like classical music and then i can play classical music and then we have a connection versus you can't do that yeah okay I talked myself out of that one. <laughs> I'm, I'm back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it, 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 it is interesting because it's one of those things that I've always, and, and maybe I shouldn't be saying this because I remember when I started in Sandler, one of the things that was said to me was that, you know, in terms of buying into a, a, an existing system is that it's designed to break down, to, it's designed to model what effective sellers do and break that down into bite-sized chunks that you can then assimilate and then as you express it, it is, it is partly you, you're, you're adding your own personality experience to it, but it looks like, sounds like, feels like a, a modeled approach. And, and that makes perfect sense. What it doesn't do, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't tap into for example, I wake up on a particular day and I just don't want to go to work. I'm not feeling it. Yeah. And I guess they're probably the perennial chance, challenges of sales leadership. And list, when I was reading through the testimonials about you, what came out consistently out of that was that a, a, a sense that you cared and you listened, that, that what, you're, what you're looking for are kind of what's, what's going to motivate the people I'm working for. So, so I'd, li I'd like to explore that a little bit further with you because I think the the the, the stuff that's well modeled is is relatively easy to assimilate. It's it's the 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 X factor. Mm -hmm. What what makes one person stand out versus the other, where they're both trained and coached to the same level, and and how do you what what do you look for uh, in the people you work with to help them grow? Um. So I think it was uh, it was a Daniel Pink 
wrote the book Drive, and in that it really hit me when I read it about the difference between extrinsic and intrinsic motivators. That idea of being effectively dangle a carrot in front of somebody, but if they they're not hungry or they they don't like carrots, then there's no point in in putting it there. So yeah. the the part that I think we can underestimate the value of is the uh, is the discovery of somebody's intrinsic motivator. What is it that's actually going to to get them up in the morning and keep them going at night? What is the thing that actually will drive them to an end that they want to, you know, that they'll be excited by? And extrinsic motivators are, you know, you, you, you can't get enough of them. You can't get enough extrinsic pieces and people will dangle them and th because they don't satisfy. If the intrinsic motivator is something that you, you, you uh, work to and you find within the person, the, the prospect, the, the partner you're working with, the, the uh, team member that you're hiring, if you can un uncover some of those intrinsic oh. motivators, the, the why of most of it and why they're doing something, then that gives, the, that gives a very strong attachment to the, the path they've got to go forward on. Yeah. I want to talk to you, because I think there's a lot in this. I'd like to explore that, go a little bit deeper on that in terms of how do you identify that? Because I always remember when it jumped out at me was, and it's a while ago now, I think it was 2007, I was training for Dublin City Marathon with my brother-in-law, and we would go out on a Sunday and run together. And it was, we're, we're at the 14-mile stage in training. And... When you're at that stage, 40 miles is as difficult as 26 miles when you're at that stage. It doesn't matter, right? And it was a particularly difficult run. And I remember Mark uh, saying to me, you know, Paul, he says, you could not pay me to do this. And, it was, and I thought it was a really interesting comment because it's true. Nobody was paying us to do it. Yeah. Nobody would have been upset with us. There was no stick either. If we decided not to do it, it would have been fine. That's your decision. But yet we were putting ourselves to a lot of this pain. And, but if, here's, the, here's, and here's where I want to go with you, is that if you were to ask me why I was doing this, I don't know that I could have told you. Mm -hmm. I think maybe there's something in me that, you know, a psychologist might say I was running away from something. I don't know. So I'm curious to know how you can, can you ever really identify intrinsic motivation I don't, I'd like to understand your, your thoughts on it. I think, I think one of the, the firstly, uh, the fact that you even did the 14 miles of a marathon, Paul, uh, my, my hat goes off to you. If I wore one, I'd tip it at you because there's not a chance. I, I have no intrinsic motivation whatsoever. I get tired driving 26 miles, so well done to you for, for, uh, for doing the marathon. I, um, if, if I look at how you find that intrinsic motivator in people, it's... It's not always an easy thing to surface, and it may have, as you say, some seated um, route that they're uncomfortable with, or they're they haven't quite identified themselves. But there's there's some kind of magnetic north that people are pulled towards. Doesn't mean I, I need to know what the north is. I don't need to know what is necessarily pulling it, but I, I know they want to go in that direction, mm. and and that's about being responsive to the person that you're you're speaking with and. And going into their zone as much as you can to try to understand how they, and what you know, it's 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 not what makes them tick, but what makes them, what what would satisfy them, and how does that satisfaction arrive? So you you to the point, I mean, fourteen miles of, into a run, your brother's right, or your your uh, the point on you couldn't pay me. That's an extrinsic motivator. Mm. Nobody wants to work 
you know, through the grudge or the drudge and the and the, the tough bits for extrinsic motivators. That's mm. that's a oh, good luck. If you can tie an extrinsic motivator to the intrinsic reason you wish to do something, well, you got a chance. So, if for example, if in a sales environment, and, I, and I've done it before with team members, where I know I need to be able to get them to achieve a certain level of outcome in terms of the target or the stretch goal or whatever might be needed. And there's a financial attachment to that, which is great. Um, so they'll make a little bit more money if we hit to that. But it's what the money means to them. What will they do with that? How can that apply to their the home that they're trying to purchase or the car that they're looking to upgrade or the, the holiday that they want to take their family on? Mm. And, and that becomes the intrinsic motivator that's much more in, intimate than the extrinsic, well, you're going to make a lot more money because that really doesn't fire people's belly up. It's about what that means to them. And if you can, and a lot of times we, we fail. And I think this is a, a failure of, you know, the way people connect, the way we, we as sales professionals connect to our prospects or our customers. We think it's only one, we, we think only on one level or one, one level deep. Mm. The truth of it is there's a lot more pulling underneath that is, that is important to understand. And if you satisfy the, if you satisfy that itch, you wind up with a, a much more motivated team member you, or you wind up with a much more loyal, connected and satisfied customer. And, mm. and I think the, the lazy approach can sometimes be we'll play the three chords with no music attached, no, as you say, understanding about what music do you want to listen to and how are you hearing the chords I'm playing? If you get behind that and hear the way that the hear it from their side, that's the that's where you can really make it mean something to the person that you're engaging with. So uh, coming in and sell, it's, it's like selling features. Features are no, you know, nobody buys features, they buy benefits. And in fact, they don't even buy benefits. They're buying the value that benefit to, will deliver to them. And the, or the, 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 there's, a, there's a knock on from that. Mm. And a lazy salesperson sells features. A better salesperson will sell the benefit. And the really clever and the most successful are selling at a, at a deeper level again, something that's that's hooked into yeah. an emotional connection of why why you would move from position A to position B, and and that sort of motivator is is something that you look for when you're trying to inspire a team or bring somebody with you or build into a, um, build a, a path to the to the the strategy you're uh, you're aiming towards, yeah. and um, I, th I think it's important. I'm curious on how much of it you feel in terms of intrinsic motivation, because you mentioned the idea of, okay, it's not about the money, it's what they can do with it. How much of that is, when I say ego-driven, it's like, because we're, we're, we're status-driven animals, I think, in that we, we, we put a lot of store in what's my title, where am I in the hierarchy? So yeah. I, I, probably status is the wrong word, but in terms of the hierarchy, perceived hierarchy and of course you can frame anything as a hierarchy if you if you go small enough um in, in my own one-dimensional one-person hierarchy i'm king <laughs> right um but i'm just curious to know in terms of what you feel is the power of that that it's it, that the money's just a marker and it's not even what i'll do with it whether i want to upgrade my car is that why am i upgrading my car is that when i put into my driveway it's to it's a, it's it's and I look around at all the other driveway uh, cars and other driveways. It's kind of saying I belong here too. Mm -hmm. I, I, there, there's a um, I can't remember the author a book I read recently talking about how we're driven by that sort of hierarchical 
you know, you're better than me or worse than me, or he's above me or below me. And there's oh. a constant, you know, and, and, and people can get very caught on this. Where do I fit in this hierarchy? Is he earning more than I am? Has he got a better oh. car? Did he just put another extension on his, uh, on his extension? Or whatever the particular case might be, you mark oh. yourself against others. And it's a, it's a, you're on a hiding to nothing if that's the marker that you always bench yourself against. Um, you know, the, 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 there's a whole other philosophy of why you should uh, come away from those sort of hierarchical markers against other people. But I think we do that. And that can often be that intrinsic drive. There is an intrinsic need to feel satisfied that I've moved up in that perceived hierarchy. And, um, and so people strive to that and they work to that. And the truth of it is, there's always going to be somebody with a better car than you, Paul. And there'll yeah. always be somebody with a bigger house than, than well, yeah. that's, actually, I'm looking Somebody with a bigger yacht than me. <laughs> you know, it's, and on it goes. And again, those, yeah. so, and, and that's, that almost is a, is a false uh, yeah. sense of an external, that, that is an external motivator. Yeah. You're extrinsically being motivated by somebody else or a, a target that you yeah. can't control, which yeah. is... Uh, just yeah, on, on the flip side, and it is a negative thing, it's the FOMO as well, where people keep judging themselves by their perception of how other people are doing. So mm -hmm. they look at their nice holiday pictures on Facebook and they'll go, why can't I have that? Or why am I not experiencing that? Realize maybe that person's just desperately unhappy. Not saying they are, but I'm saying we no, don't. Right. But you know what, what I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure when you've posted your photos on, on uh, wherever... I don't know if you post photos, Paul. I, I hope you don't mind that I, I haven't been following your Instagram or your TikTok. Or, but if one oh, posts my TikTok, you, you haven't seen my dance moves. <laughs> that's, that's, that gives me a shudder, now, Paul. Yeah, in um, my speedos. In your speedos, and if it's if it's um, uh, from the front, okay. It's when you turn around. I'd say that that all gets sort of uncomfortable. There's a, um, uh, but we don't post the good. We don't post the bad photos. You know, yeah. people don't stick the photos of them. Uh, when the kids were screeching at four o'clock in the morning or people don't put the photos of when they lost their car keys and had to pull the couch apart for four hours to find them or whatever the particular path is, we put up the, the, the highlight reel. And it's a terrible thing to try to measure you against somebody else's highlight reel when you've spent uh, last night with the four-year-old uh, screeching or you've been, you've lost your car keys for the fourth time this week. You know, it's, you, you, you're not measuring yourself and comparing in a, in a way that's um, uh, that's realistic. Yeah, actually, it's funny you should say that because I had this thought last week. I was in town and I, I, I like to go in and just take photographs in, in town of just life. And But it was quite interesting. I found myself, as people would come towards me and I'm filtering in my head, not, not interested in them, not interested in them. I thought, well, what am I interested in? I'm interested in people who, who look different. Mm -hmm. who's, who's character in the face. You, for example, I think your beard is wonderful character in it. And, and, and I'm not saying that lightly. It's genuinely that if, you, if I saw you walking towards me, you would be somebody I'd want to photograph. And therefore, we, we're, what, what then those photographs represent is a very selective, highly filtered view of what life is like in Dublin, mm -hmm. for example. And, and also, therefore... When you then take books and documentaries and films that were not seeing reality. And the problem with it is, and it just we're tying this full circle back to in, intrinsic motivation, is that then people are looking at that 
which is an already highly filtered uh, frame of reality. Mm-hmm. And therefore, they're comparing themselves to that. And therefore, that's a, that's a no-win, because it's not real. It's fake. Yep. Yeah. Tell me, you mentioned already, if I count three books, you just happened to throw out, I read this, Banya Pink, and so on. Uh, you're clearly a reader. Tell me about the book that made most impact on you and why. Um, I, I do read a lot. I found uh, over the, the years, uh, either as a professional or as a dad or as a person, you know, you find the need to refresh the operating system with, you know, new pieces, not software. You got to push the operating system up a level. And, um, and I got that from another book. Uh, but uh, we'll come on to that. Yeah. The one that probably had the biggest impact on me would have been The Choice by Edith Eager. And the choice, if, you've, if you haven't had the opportunity to read it, is a must-read. Um, okay, tell me uh, about you've, you've, you've probably, uh, and I'm, I'm sure a guy in your profession and probably a lot of your listeners will have come across the Victor Frankl Man's Search for Meaning book. Yes. And it's a wonderful book. It's Powerful. a little lazy. You know, the whole logotherapy idea and the principle of it is, uh, is fascinating. But it can be a little hard to bite. You know, hard it's to identify with that experience. Yeah, it's, really it's a concept. I mean, this idea mm-hmm. of the meaning you apply to your life being something that's your choice mm-hmm. is, is quite incredible. But Edith, Edith Eager was similarly um, a survivor of the Holocaust. A, uh, uh, she was a young Jewish uh, ballerina and she was uh, she had a very traumatic start to her life. And, and in fact, she became an advocate or an acolyte, if you like, of Frankel sometime in the 60s, I think. Mm-hmm. And she went on to become and was inspired to become a, psychi- uh, a psychologist um, and spend time dealing with people's trauma over the course of her professional career. And she wrote a much more digestible book about that choice. The idea of, you know, effectively a thing that happens to you or an external mo- an external factor, we're coming back perhaps to ext- extrinsic and intrinsic in a way here. Yeah. External things happen. And not to be flippant about them or to be dismissive of them or to to belittle the impact they can have on somebody's life but it the power of the choice edith eager or the meaning in the frankel way is such that you 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 can decide if that's a good thing or a bad thing you could you have much more choice in how you experience your life than people give themselves credit for or that, that people take owner or more you have much more choice than you may sometimes take ownership of. And it, it kind of fits in, there's a, this is way off on a different tangent, but um, it, you know, it fits into a perception of what is, uh, what's good and what's bad, what affects and what doesn't affect you and, and allowing things to be understood by you. They're different oftentimes from how they're transmitted from others. Oh. And, and again, you, you can make that choice about how it's, how the, uh, the thing that somebody has said to you, the experience you had, the the knock on your car that you got. And, and over and over again, I'm sure if you want to pick your life and we look back in our stories, we realize that we've taken choices that have said, well, that meant this. And actually, I chose that this meant the other. The thing itself hasn't changed. The thing itself was, was passive. You took an active role in applying a, a meaning to it, which has led you to where you are today or I am right now. And Edith Eager's book is a really enjoyable, and it's it's tough at times, and so enjoyable is probably the wrong word to use, but it's been impactful, it was impactful to me. It's one of my most bought books of a, a love of 
if there's a particular book that's impacted me, I'll buy a lot of them and uh, I'll give them to friends or I'll recommend them to family and um, uh, and anybody who would have worked with me in the past knows that they'll suddenly get a couple of books that I think, I got just a thing for you. Um, and and I, the truth of it is the choice probably is at the bottom of that pile uh, as often as I can as I can get it because it's it's a wonderful, you know, again, operating system rhythm to think about you. Uh, you can take that that okay. uh, forward into professional, into personal, yeah. into so many different aspects of your okay. life. So let's take that operating system for a moment and now put it into a different context where we most people have been challenged somewhat. Is how has that operating system tidied you through the past what is it, fifteen months? Um, but bomb. The, uh, through particularly the changes with COVID, the particular changes with lockdown and the pandemic, rather than just... Um, yeah, specifically about the pandemic. Yeah, you know, this, this has been, again, there is a, there's a pro and, there's so many pros and cons to what's happened over the last 15 months. We've all discovered the opportunity to be able to come back from uh, you know, living in a particular way and reflect on whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. And to give you one example specifically to me, I, you and I are sitting on a podcast here with a with a video link that is not as personal as us sitting down for a cup of coffee together. And you know, we, we all miss that little bit of, of connectivity, but the opportunity we have to be able to connect while you're wherever you are and I'm here is wonderful. Yesterday, I had a meeting with a company in Arizona. The day before that, I had a meeting with a, with a company in Singapore. I had one particular day a couple of months back where I had I, I went from a meeting in uh, Moscow to Istanbul to Johannesburg. So those three meetings back to back were all with C-suite uh, executives. They were all significant pieces of business that our companies were trying to do together. And there's a degree of comfort in the fact that I don't have to get on a plane to Moscow and then to Istanbul and Johannesburg. Pre-pandemic, that would have been a big insult, a big, you know, Feck you, you're not important enough, uh, so I'm therefore not getting on the plane. And uh, as the sponsor of a particular piece of business or an opportunity for partnership, it's important to be able to show face and to be able to show mm -hmm. that you care and have a chance to, to, to connect. Because we've moved into this new way of connecting, it has allowed from a business context a lot of flattening of those, those limits. So to be able to you know, sit with, there was eight or nine execs on the call for the Arizona-based company yesterday. Now, they probably wouldn't have taken, they were all on the call in mm. their own individual pods. And it wouldn't have been something that they'd have had to come to an office. They'd have had to sit with me. I'd have had to fly over and my team would fly in and we'd all sit around doing our bit. Did we lose something in, in the Zoom call? Yeah. Did we lose 10% or 15%? Maybe. But the gain that we've got from the ability to be able to do that without soul-crushing amounts of travel. And I traveled, you know, two weeks a month at least. And to, to be away from my family and to be away from you know, coach football or to, to do the things that you like to do. That's, that's not an easy, um, an easy exchange to have to make. So uh, the, the positive part is, yeah, 15% reduction in the ability to engage. But I think a massive, ex a massive expansion of the the way that you can do it in a, mm. you know, at, at scale, and yeah. without enormous impact on, on uh, my kids. I've, 
um, you know, I actually quite like my children, Paul, which is something that I'd ask you to edit out of the podcast just in case they're <laughs> But, uh, in case they ever find it, is it? I mean, it would be that would be devastating to. Uh... <laughs> well, that's a nice thing to be able to say. It's, it's not always true of everybody, that's for sure. Or, um, or, or I think I think you're afforded the opportunity to get to know them better because they're changing rapidly. And yeah. if you're always on a plane, and and even sometimes, and I've experienced this, even when you're not on a plane, when you're back, you're tired and your head is not in the right space to invest in in kids who are growing and changing and and need that constant touch point so yeah. i guess so i'm so but but i also i'm conscious that we we are in a bubble mm-hmm. life hasn't been that impacted as you said there's that little bit of that 15 10 15 percent but on the other hand then you don't have to travel and i'm in the exact same boat and i can only a few weeks ago i had some at a class I was working with in, in, in Canada, like I would, and there were 90 minute classes, like I would, you can't fly to Canada for that. So there are massive advantages. I'm wondering though, when we take the principles of the, the book, can you remind me again the name of the book? It's the Choice. The Choice, okay. The, the key principles of that, and then you apply it to somebody who's in a very, very different scenario. Maybe the two years ago, they opened a shop. Mm-hmm. And they're still expected to pay rent and and all those bills, and, and they're not able to operate, and they don't know if they should invest money again because if they do, and then in a two months' time or in the winter, it's shut down again, and they're in an apartment for two people. They've got a couple of kids and a and and they're you know what I'm saying that they're that we are fortunate. Yeah, we, we are, but Paul also too, I think. And I do feel a great deal of uh, of uh, empathy to. Um, there's been such a, a devastation in the uh, in the hotel and bar restaurant industry that's been uh, very hard to watch. And a lot of colleagues or people that would have been close to me in years past been very badly affected. Their livelihoods gone overnight, and it's been terribly difficult for them to to, to pivot over the last number of months and the last fifteen months. To, to keep, as you say, their family, uh, their mortgage, their rent paid, and it's, and I don't pretend to say it's 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 easy in any way, shape, or form. It's not like a choice can wave it away, but there is still at that point a, a choice. We either sit and allow the external to happen and to be passive in it, or we choose to find a way to be able to, uh, to, to change and adjust. And so, I, I don't know about you, but I've, I can't, you know, over and over again, the numbers of companies that I've spoken with and business people who I've spoken with have gone from a fully clicks, a fully bricks and mortar business to a, a very successful online business. And again, like you and I have realized that instead of opening a store on a high street and being in front of whoever walks past, well, now their effort and attention is, is put to selling on Amazon, selling on eBay, selling across a marketplace that gives them breath. Yeah. And now they're into a very different space. They're presenting their products. They're still selling the same stuff but they're connecting to a different audience and they've chosen to move with the, in a responsive way to what's happened outside. And I think, again, that, that comes to, that's, that's a choice. Mm-hmm. I've also seen people who've sat there and, and looked at this pandemic and have done not a great deal to, to adjust and are feeling all of the pinch. And perhaps I'm, I'm, I don't mean to suggest that everybody has an opportunity to shift and adjust because there's many, many people who, who, who have struggled, but the, the, 
there is going to be disruption. There will be external factors. There will be a storm over that horizon for us all. We've got to know if we're going to be, uh, if it's going to take us out of the game or if it's just going to change the rules so that you have to yeah. adjust the way you play it. It's funny because I was thinking of this just only recently and, and, and to your point about the, the choice thing, I think, yeah, we, and it, maybe it's just a human thing, we tend to focus on the choices that we no longer have, that we once had, we no longer have, mm-hmm. and not look at the choices that we do have now, which is, which is to your point about the whole travel thing, and, and, and you're absolutely right about that. Uh, I also think where I've struggled in the last, say, 15 months, and I, I consider myself really, really fortunate because I'm not worried about more, you know, paying a mortgage. I have a space here that's not in my home, but it's a 15-minute walk. So no matter what restrictions are in place, I still get to leave the house in the morning, come here, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm allowed to operate freely. There's nobody else here apart from myself. And, um, and therefore, I am really, really, really fortunate in that sense. But where I've struggled with all is is the changing nature, and I think it's 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 part of our makeup that we look, okay, when 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 will things get when will they go back to the way they were, mm-hmm. and and what happens is then and, and and we're also there's there's a narrative we listen to which is, it'll just you know just hold tight, right, for good reasons. I'm not having a go at that. It's like we'll be there soon. We'll be there soon. And then at the back of your mind, you're like kids. You're like the kids in the back of the car. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And it's that constant change. Just when you think you're there, it changes again, and it changes again. And it's in that that disruption that you can find real kind of setback in your own mind. And where I am with it is now is rather than rather than getting into this linear track of we'll be there right there in two months' time is, you know what, we're going to be somewhere on a spectrum. Mm-hmm. One end of that spectrum is, it'll be sunshine every day, we'll be walking into bars, free hugs, free beer, right? <laughs> I, I'm going to the bars with you, Paul. I mean, they, they sound like great bars to go to. Yeah, they are. They are. I'm going to open them up myself. <laughs> and then on the other end is, well, what happens if things get worse? Uh-huh. And you know what, I think, it's, I think you've got to maybe scenario plan things better so that you, you're, you're prepared for, so you don't get that jolt of expectation versus reality. Yeah, I, 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 the spectrum idea is actually a good way of looking at it. You know, it's going to land in that scale. Well, somewhere, it's gonna happen, not 100% sure. What, I, what I've even better to, to do, in my opinion, and certainly the experience over the last number of months working with people who have been affected, and the things that, and there's a lot of stressor there as you see all of these things that are, that's a big tide that turned, a big tsunami wave of change that hit a lot of people's livelihoods and life. Mm. But there will always be things that are inside your circle of control and things that aren't. And, and the, the, the difficulty is for a lot of people, their circle of concern uh, no longer overlap with their circle of control. So now they're all, every news article you read is about, well, you can't go on holidays and you can't go to the pub and you can't do this and you can't do that. And, and nobody knows when it's going to end. And so we've been pumped full of concern for an area that we can't control. And that leads to a, a desperation and a feeling of fear and oh, angst because you're not sure how exactly you're going to, Jesus, how's this all going to end? But we, we again have a choice to, you know, not sound hacked. But there is a circle of control that we do have, things that we can control, 
your health, your relationships with the, the people around you, the, your ability to walk 15 minutes and enjoy that stroll to the office and uh, make sure that the books behind you are, uh, are the ones that you wanted to read. Mm. They're choices that you can make in the middle of this sea of uncertainty. Yeah. And, and so again, you know, there's a Buddhist principle. You, you, you choose your suffering. So which suffering do you want to choose? Do we choose the suffering of, you know, it, swimming in a sea of uncertainty and uh, and concern that I can't control, or do I choose the suffering of limiting my my focus to the things that I can control and I can create certainty on and I can give yeah. comfort within the you know, at the end of the day I've, I've done what that. I could within that space. That. You choose your suffering. Yeah, it's it, it it speaks to me like the, there's an old expression that my wife would use. She says. Uh, Pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. Yeah, and I like that. Uh, or I don't know if you've read, by the way, because you're a reader. Have you read the book of The Fine Art of Not Giving a Fuck? Love it. Mark. Uh, yeah, is it Ra- Ranson? Ranson? Uh, uh, Mark Manson. Yeah. Manson, there you go. And, and I remember reading that on this plane. And was, you get that sometimes in a book. You go, you look at it and you go, you, you feel like you've just discovered the answer to the universe. Yeah. And it was that line that said... Um, he, he, now I should give some context to it. He talked about the fact that we've all got problems and the pro- one of our problems is we look at others and think my life would be better if it was more like theirs. Mm-hmm. And he said, but like your ne- next door neighbor wins a hundred million in the lotto and you think their, their, their problems are over. They're only just beginning mm-hmm. because now somebody sees their kids as a kidnapped threat. Right. And, and so on and so on. Or now they feel they're going to move into a neighborhood with all this new money, but they're not accepted by their neighbors because of how they got their money and so on. And he said, the best thing you can hope for in life, he said, is better problems because we are wired that joy and satisfaction and achievement only comes after the climb. Mm -hmm. And if you don't put in the effort, you don't get the the joy. I, 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 I could never, if I use the marathon as an example, I could that sense of accomplishment and achievement. I could never get that without having gone through the the training and the pain and and and, and those moments where you're going to go, what am I doing here? And and therefore, it's 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 just part of it. And 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 as he said, was the best thing you can hope for. It's not that we have no problems; is that we have better problems. Yeah. And this comes back to what you're saying. I think is. Now we have this option of choosing better problems that we reframe and say, look, here's choices we don't have. They're outside of our control. And what's, what's interesting to me about what you said is those things about the books, spending more time in relationships, spending more time just listening to the birds and your walk in the morning. These are actually the important things. All the other stuff that we obsess that we don't have because we can't go to Portugal for two weeks. So what? Again, we, we have a choice to decide what we we can choose what it is that we are uh, going to put into that category of that's what I desire, that's what I want, that's what yeah. I really need, I need, and it's and it's something you can control. People, for I think, are are very quick to forget that they can control that part. Yeah. They you you choose the things that are meaningful. You choose the things that are meaningful to you as things to walk towards, or things you can enjoy today, or or you choose the meaning of the things that have happened to you yesterday. And, and we, you know, by, by also doing that, there's a thing in the, the sort of the stoicism in the Mark Manson book, the, the that sort of idea of being a stoic, that oh. sort of um, Marcus Aurelius-y kind of thing of, 
you know, it, 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 there is a lot of suffering. You're not going to, life is not supposed to be easy. But I don't know, if, Paul, if you've ever been to uh, Disneyland or to a fun fair or, and if you've ever gone on one of those roller coasters, yes. that's super fun. I got dragged there by my daughter about yeah. three years ago in Florida. Like, honestly, the best roller coaster of all is the one with the highest, uh, highest rises and the biggest dips. You don't pay money to go to a roller coaster that goes around it. That's called a train, you know, that, that comes back and, and you pay money to go on that because the ride is, is, is the contrast of the up and the down. It's the contrast of the, the, the fear and the excitement that makes it something worth paying $20 for. Yeah. And, and you, you know, I, I, if I take the dart from Bray to, uh, to Dublin City, I'm not going to pay $20 and I'm probably not going to scream every time. Well, there was that one time when I went through Black Rock, but that was a different thing. You know, there's, there, there's, a, there's a need to, to, to see the, in, the, the pleasure in the, and again, that's a choice, a pleasure in the journey. And the up and the down is, is going to happen. You're going to get a smack at some time. There's not a lot of certainty in this life that is beyond. At some point, you're going to wind up breathing one out, not breathing one in again. That's the only certainty we've got. So for the journey we're on, we choose to enjoy it or to, uh, or to, or not. So tell me then about a time in your life where you had to dig deep into your own internal sense of intrinsic motivation and, and maybe reframing of a problem that you were faced where you were able to reframe it, see it differently and come out of it? I um, have a lot of them. <laughs> I tell you, well, there's one, there's one that sort of sticks out. And um, I uh, had uh, set up a business a couple of years ago. I decided to go on my own, um, had a bit of money, managed to raise a little bit of capital. We had a warehouse, very generously sponsored warehouse, in fact, by a, um, a, a super business leader called Brendan Palmer over in uh, Dublin 11. And he had this wonderful idea of being able to grandfather in a small business. And uh, effectively, he had some what he, what, and it was very grateful to him for what he did uh, at the time. Uh, I had started this business. I was running it basically out of my front room. And he had this kind of offer where he had extra warehouse space, and small office space, and well, I'll give them to you for rent free for 12 months to help a business. And he, and he spoke with a number of businesses and he effectively offered it up. He'll give some coaching and some mentoring. And he had a successful business that just didn't need this space. And instead of sitting there and renting it out, he knew that that's not gonna have an enormous impact on, on his other business. But what he could do is pay it back or pay it forward and have an impact on a small business. So um, the, uh, I was very grateful for it. It gave me an opportunity to start that, that scale that I was looking for. But I remember one day, I mean, I did everything. I was working, you know, 16 hour days, making no money, hadn't a salary. And I was out at the front. There was one one uh, particular aspect of the, the warehouse was that right over the entrance, pigeons roosted all night. I mean, talking 40 pigeons seemed to come in at night and would crap all over the, the, the front. And I, you know, I, I had this grand notion of I'm setting up a business. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be the, the next Silicon Valley millionaire. It's going to be amazing. And I, and I found myself, you know, every couple of days out shoveling and sweeping up pigeon crap. And, uh, and, and, going f and, and I remember that very specifically the contrast of going from, oh my God, I've got to sweep up this crap to, Jesus, 
I got I sweep up crap outside a business that I, you know, I, I this is this is my place. The, the mm. only reason I'm doing this is because I'm doing that. Mm. And so this stopped being a negative and started to be something that wasn't to be, oh, cra you know, nobody wants to sweep up pigeon crap twice a week. But the truth was that, you know, I was starting out on a journey in this business and there were hardships and pieces that were there. But again, you know, you have to, you either get consumed by them or you realize that you've put yourself in the position to, uh, Dolly Parton had a great uh, a great word on an interview I, I listened to a podcast with her uh, uh, a couple of months ago. She said, I painted my, every time I got into a bind, I reminded myself that I painted myself into this corner. Mm. And and I loved it. And I, it sort of resonated because there are so many times in life when, when things get tough or things become hard because of the thing, you know, that they're, they're hard, not by chance, but because you chose this path, mm. chose to start a business with a yeah. free warehouse in an area where there's 40 pigeons. That's a, yeah. that's a, that's a path you, you've been on. And, yeah. and the consequence of it isn't always pretty, but yeah. the control you can take back by saying, I painted myself into this corner is wonderful. It's remarkably uh, liberating to have that chance of. You know, um, it's funny. You, you, you know. you, yeah. And, and what we don't see at the time is how you look back on that and how you think about it, because you look at the crap as, a, as, a, as an unpleasant thing. But actually, the experience of sweeping it up day in, day, in, day out is also a marker in terms of where you are and where you're coming from. And where you're going to. So when you yeah. look back, I, I remember having this a few times where I think back to when I started it's nearly 20 years ago now and my, my first program, I remember doing it in the Guinness storehouse. They had training rooms there on the fourth or fifth floor and the car park was maybe, you know, it's a few hundred meters away. And I remember, it, so I used to start at eight o'clock and finish at 10.30. So it was a two and a half hour class, but you'd need to be there for 7.30, maybe even earlier. And what I still have is those cold, cold winter mornings and I'm carrying boxes from the car and I had to go to the car two or three times to bring yeah. them in. And I, but, but I look back on that and going, you know what? It was fantastic. I'm, I'm proud of that. Mm. And that to me is analogous to the, 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 the pigeon crap. You've, well. you've been paid for that. So no, you, at that point, if somebody had said, I'm going to pay you 10 quid an hour to move boxes in a cold car park from here to there, it is not a chance, not a hope. If somebody yeah. had offered me that to, to yeah. sweep a pigeon crap, I'd have told them yeah. to like. Yeah. It meant more than the it's suffering. It's emblematic, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Really I remember, actually, I think that's where I first met you, was shortly after probably pulling in some of those boxes in the Guinness storehouse all those years ago. So. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was a fabulous place. Um, we, we are, I'm, I'm, I'm sad to say, Richard, we're almost up on time. Um, couple of quick questions I wanted to ask you that I'd like to finish out with is your house is burning down mm -hmm. and your, your family are safe and, and of course your, your, your computer and your mobile phone, they're safe too. <laughs> um, what one item would you run back in and grab and why? Um, probably one of, probably that guitar there, the Gretsch Electromatic. Um, that would be my. Uh, Why that to... particular guitar? It means that that was. Um, do you remember the Traveling Wilburys? Yes. Yeah. So these were the Gretsch Electromatics were the guitars that those guys were standing. You know, standing on the front of the cover, front cover of their their album, 
And for some reason that really tickled me when I was 15 or 14 when that album came out. And it just inspired me to, I loved the, the sensibility of this, there was a sensualness to that guitar shape and size. And, yeah. and, and, I, and I only bought that, well, I bought that many years ago, but it's still my favorite kind of pickup and, and tweak. So probably I'd go grab that, which again, I hope my children don't listen to this because I should say baby photos and I should say all that stuff, but prob probably the guitar. Baby photos are on hard drives somewhere. Yeah, I'm sure. up on cloud. My wife has them somewhere else, I've no doubt. So. Yeah, very good. And finally, you're you're a reader. So I want you to imagine now that when your time has has come on this planet and there's a book written about your life, what would you want the title to be? Jeez, Paul, that's an awfully difficult question. And one book. I'm, I'm, thinking of a, I'm thinking of a series here. I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of a shelf filling. Yeah, with all the different chapter names. That's different. Yeah, yeah and that one title that's 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 true for you. Um, oh gosh, Paul. I don't know. I mean, if it's uh, um, if it's something that is reflected through other people, if it was something that helped, or some, you know, if I was able to leave that as a as a piece that. I could help other people find a path for themselves or find the, the, the satisfaction of the path they're on. That, that would mean something to me. But right. I don't know if I could condense that into, again, it's going to be a 12-part series. And in fact, Netflix have it signed up already for a, um, a mini-series sometime. Uh, I look forward to it. Richard McGuinness, I want to thank you so much for being my guest today. It's been fascinating. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much, Paul, for your time.